The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. At my signal, unleash hell. Greetings, welcome, happy Thursday. You are listening to News Talk Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you for the next two solid gold hours of freedom-loving News Talk. Awesomeness, so very glad that you could tune in to this Thursday edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program, available to you on podcast. We need a referendum on lockdowns, that's right. I like this idea. Out of Switzerland, the Swiss are notoriously kind of snooty a little bit. Listen, I'm not making broad generalizations, even though I kind of am. But it's because there has not been a war there for hundreds of years. I think they have a right to be a little bit snooty about that. They'll be glad to store your cash and gold if you're having a war. (laughs) They're fine with that. Just bring it. We'll take care of it for you. Yeah. But uh, they're getting this one absolutely right. The Swiss are going to have a referendum on lockdowns. In fact, it's going to be a referendum on all government emergency 19, COVID-19 measures. Yeah, they don't just make cheese and watches over there, my friend. After mounting a national campaign and the work of determined local organizations, this is what grassroots you know, pushing back looks like, man. Swiss campaigners have managed to trigger a referendum for ending the government's destructive COVID regulations. If successful, it will also be a blow to the folks, the uh, elites at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. That's a nice fat middle finger to Justin's buddies at Davos who have been pushing the idea of a global economic shutdown ever since the start of this pandemic. Look, I mean, I know, stay home, stay home. Look, you might get hit by a bus, too. So stay home, right? Stay home. You might get struck by falling uh, space debris. Stay home. The elites love lockdowns because it makes them feel special. (laughs) And they are. Uh, They can do whatever they want while you and me get to stay home, while they push this economic reset, which means they get all the stuff and you and me get to live in a cardboard box to save the planet from climate change. They'll be burdened with all the toys, the boats, the planes, the real estate, the, you know, the houses, all the land. They'll carry the burden of having all that stuff for you. You'll, you'll be free of all that stuff. That's the great reset, my friend. Go Switzerland, go. Look, just make sure that you guys use uh, paper ballots. Um, <laughs> just don't say it, Petrone. You don't want to get sued. Look, I'm just saying, I would just avoid voting machines in general at this point. Uh, Creepy Joe sure, sure likes them, absolutely. But uh, from our COVID forever file, another excuse for the lockdown Gestapo to tighten the noose on the population. You hear of people leaving the cities. What did I tell you about disaster capitalism last week? You know, the billionaire elites, the, you know, the super rich class, they destroy asset prices on purpose. Look what they did in in Venezuela. They've done it over and over again. It works. You know, it's like a gigantic short 
on you. <laughs> They're shorting people. And they do it on purpose, and then uh, you know they snap up the bargoons later on, including real estate. So I'll let people leave. What does that do to the price of real estate? If they have riots, you know, and they burn buildings, well, what does that do to the price of real estate? It makes it cheap. And then the rich folks are just sitting on mountains of money anyway. Oh, we'll snap up that building for 10 cents on the dollar. Yeah, we'll take it off your hands. Scumbags. Um, this New York strain of COVID spreading out of the Big Apple. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I'm leaving today. <laughs> well, some people are leaving the Big Apple, man. They are. They're leaving because uh, they want to go, you know, to Texas or Florida or something. Well, maybe not Texas quite yet. <laughs> but look, uh, this this new, uh, I guess, new strain, supposed to be more resistant to vaccines, even as another study coming out of Pfizer. Uh, now suggesting that that vaccine is 94% effective one week after the second dose. And don't worry, Moderna is now launching. They're getting so fat and rich, these, uh, you know, the big pharma people, man. It's good to be the king. Is launching trials of another vaccine to combat variants. Uh, look, that'll just mean, hey, guess what? More vaccines. Yeah, you got to take another one. Sorry. Um, anyway, those are... The COVID stories, horror stories for that. I'm, I'm going to have more. Don't worry. There's there's a never-ending supply. Oh, by the way, the survival rate for COVID is still around 99.7%. But if you're elderly, it is particularly uh, dangerous. So be extra careful. Personally, I'm still taking my extra vitamin D, uh, extra vitamin C, my zinc. I, that's just me. Is it working? I don't know. I feel pretty good, but I'm not a doctor looks like farmers are getting a fuel tax break despite the federal cabinet opposing it yeah the liberals oppose now if bill gates buys all the farmland in canada you can bet that the liberals will be more than happy to give him a tax break but uh the little guys and gals not so much how about getting rid of the carbon tax now oh that's right that tax is supposed to stop the climate from changing Someday, future generations are going to marvel at the snake oil that people bought from these uh, hucksters. But uh, it's a, here's another sign that the government is getting strapped for cash. Remember when they, remember when they handed out three quarters of a billion dollars in CERB checks to chi to children who applied for them online? That was kind of funny, but no one is laughing now that the government is broke. And when governments realize they're broke, they start doing things that you and I don't like. So here now, snowbirds who went south for the nice weather, who claimed $1,000 pandemic benefits after New Year's, will have to pay the money back. That story from Blacklock's reporter. Cabinet yesterday served notice it will introduce a bill retroactively voiding claims uh, by returning travelers under quarantine. But, they, but are they going to go after those children, those kids who scammed them out of all that money? I mean, I say them. I mean, they scammed us, but good luck with that one. Those kids bought weed, man. They bought, well, they might have bought a little bit of Bitcoin, maybe some GameStop shares. So under Australia's new media law, Google and Facebook will now have to pay for news. Yeah, the way it works is Google, a.k.a. Evil Corp., and Facebook... 
uh, are required to uh, negotiate licensing agreements with publishers for news articles that they feature. So you can bet that's coming here. Uh, it'll give a boost to media organizations that have had to rely on government cash. And by the way, Al Jazeera, you know Al Jazeera, media organization? This is a media corporation out of the oil-rich Gulf nation of Qatar, or Qatar, if you prefer. I, I'm still confused. I, I hear both. Uh, we all know a lot of media is struggling these days. And this is a pretty smart move by Al Jazeera. They know there's a market for conservative-minded or common-sense style content. Uh, the vast majority of stuff that you see out there is left-wing. I mean, we know that. It's pretty obvious. Cutter's Al Jazeera launching a right-wing news platform. I don't know if it's coming up here. Presumably, they'd have to have it licensed. But they're saying that it's for Americans who feel left out of uh, the mainstream media. Why just for Americans? I mean, naturally, the left-wing media doesn't like this idea. It's, it's harder to brainwash people if there's some media out there that uh, is not with the program. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody's got to be online. That's why China does what it does in the People's Republic. That's why North Korea doesn't allow any dissenting opinion. You have to brainwash people to tyranny. And that's what the left wants at the end of the day. That's why they don't like any people who have an opinion they don't uh, agree with. Anyway, this story out of the left-wing Guardian newspaper out of the UK. Al Jazeera, the Qatar-based news network that has previously sought to become a liberal media force in the United States, is now launching a platform to target conservatives. And that came out this week. The Al Jazeera outlet will be called Rightly. <laughs> hey, why not? Rightly and apparently aims to imitate and partake of Fox News' longtime success as leading the U.S. mainstream. Well, Fox uh, has taken its lumps lately, ever since that ill-fated call on Arizona on Election Day. Anyway, Rightly plans to cater to center-right Americans and is headed by Fox News' Scott Norvell. Its target audience has been uh, further described as Republicans who feel left out of mainstream media. According to the Politico, uh, it also perhaps is a uh, reference to pro-Trumpers. Pro so people who like Trump, don't like the way he was treated in the media, they might gravitate towards this media outlet. I, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm a bit suspicious, as I tend to get. I mean, why would America need a center-right publication? Well, I think they would need it, but this, the lefties are asking that musical question. The more interesting angle is the fact that Al Jazeera, of course, is backed by the Qatari government. That's what makes me suspicious about what they're really up to. But I, I, I'm curious that, that this platform would try to suck in conservatives. I mean, eventually, what are they going to do? They show them how wrong they are? A full disclosure, by the way, I do have a little bit of a history with Al Jazeera. As commissioner of the CRTC, I was the only one who opposed their being licensed in Canada on the grounds that they're owned by the royal family of Qatar, which owns all the oil out there. And so there's, there's no way they would ever be fair and balanced. But I've come to my, uh, my senses on that because media here isn't fair and balanced anyway, so who cares? Um... Uh, 
I don't know. There were, there were also concerns about anti-Semitism with, uh, with Al Jazeera. So I dissented. And you can still read that dissent, by the way, on the CRTC website. If you have absolutely, and I mean absolutely nothing else to do. <laughs> anyway, I got mocked for it. I don't care. I think it was the right thing to do. And Hey, guess what? There's a new weapon that's going to be developed. And um, I don't know. It looks to me like... Uh, like the folks in the arms industry in the United States have been watching Star Trek. I, you know, it's, it's got some ideas that are kind of reminiscent of that show. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Anyway, you get the hint. Um, the U.S. Army is building the first powerful laser to vaporize drones. And it, it reminded me of the phasers, you know, that they use in Star Trek. Why just drones, though? I mean, they can use this to vaporize anything, including, you know, people they don't like, people who say mean stuff about the psychos who run the country. The U.S. Army appears to be developing a laser weapon that is, get this, a million times stronger than anything ever used before. Instead of concentrating a beam of light to destroy a target, the new weapon will fire short pulses. You know what I'm saying? Beep, beep. You know, it's like, it's like Star Trek. Sort of like uh, laser beam weapons from a science fiction movie. That according to the new scientist. Uh, also by, well, look, it's just, I found it interesting. So I, I talk about this stuff. I mean, it's just random stuff, but. And uh, if you say anything about uh, NATO that's not very nice, Twitter might kick you off the platform. I may try it today just to see what happens. Twitter has announced it recently suspended dozens of accounts for undermining confidence in NATO. Why would they care? Why would tw Twitter be you know, obsessed with protecting NATO's reputation? It was part of a broader purge of almost 400 Twitter accounts believed to have ties to Russia. It's all about Russia, isn't it? Armenia and Iran, state actors who were found to have breached its platform manipulation policies. That's right. Twitter's getting tough on those guys. 100 accounts with Russian ties were removed for, quote, uh, amplifying narratives that undermine faith in NATO. We can't do that. And targeted the United States and the European Union. You know what? Twitter needs to just back off. I don't know why Trudeau has to censor social media sites when Twitter and Facebook are doing that already. But I guess it's just not enough for the liberals. Listen, I got to take a quick time out, a commercial break, my friends. We got lots coming up, though. So don't go away. Stick around on Saga 960 after this. Stream us live at Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga960. And we are back with more on News Talk Saga960. So very glad that you could join me on this Thursday edition of the show. We have Joe Warmington on the line. Joe is a columnist and journalist over at the Toronto Sun, recently writing about the uh, downtown death scene that 
left uh, other reporters speechless. I mean, I've been in circumstances like this. You go and it's, uh, you know, the, the police are there in force and you've got uh, the autopsy people there. And of course, you got the body coming out. And it's, I mean, when you're a journalist, there's a couple of things happening. You Part of you, of course, is the human side dealing with what's around you. And, and you've got a body and you've got a, a scene of uh, sometimes horrible violence. And on the other side, you've got the reporter that's trying to remain detached. Um, you know, I don't do a whole lot of this navel gazing type of stuff, but I think it probably is interesting, certainly from the public's vantage point, especially if they're dealing with a journalist. So Joe, talk a little bit about what happened with this, uh, with this well, story. You know, it, it, it is, uh, it's hard for the police as well and for anybody involved in it. But it, I think there's sometimes it hits you if you do too much of it, where you're at a scene in the case of this, uh, you know, there was a started as a police shooting, and then as you peel back the onion, it turns out that there's a missing woman, and again, they still haven't confirmed it. Although, you know, there's a there is a missing woman they believe to be uh, involved in this building, and that's why the police were responding to this location. And out of it, allegedly, was an attack on the police with a butcher knife or a machete, and the police returned fire, but. You know, the victim who attacked the police, that kind of stuff, people, you know, that cover this kind of thing, you you, you know, you don't feel good about it, but you, you kind of deal with it. But when you're dealing with an innocent woman that's been allegedly murdered um, and you're standing there and then they're wheeling out, you know, what you believe to be, uh, you know, key parts of this story, if you know what I mean, you have to do your own math on it. But, yeah, you could see the look on the police officer's face, the security guards, all the reporters and the photographers, just dead silence. Because, you know, this is this is life, and this is what you're doing for a living. Nobody would be there unless they're getting paid to be there, and nobody feels uh, very good after. I mean, everybody's, you're only human. And, uh, you know, and that's why I don't uh, believe in being hard on police officers. Yeah, they're human too, and they deal with this a lot more than we'll ever have to. Yeah, absolutely. And from a reporter's vantage point, dealing with the public can be challenging as well. They they see you at a time when they're having a huge amounts of turmoil going on inside. You're there as a professional telling the story. Oftentimes, they don't really trust the media to begin with. And then, of course, you're trying to get details and you're trying to put together a story. What's that like? Well, it's it, it's what keeps people out or gets people out of the business and into other aspects, whether it's media relations or whatever. That's the hardest part. They call it the you know pickup, like the pickup picture. Now, in my day, uh, you know, I've been 35 years at this. You had to go every day uh, when there was even a car accident, anything, and it was very competitive between the Toronto Sun and the Toronto Star. So you would go there knock on the door, figure out where the people lived, and you would go there. It didn't matter what it was, if it was a very serious crime or minor crime, even snowmobile going through the ice or anything. You have to get a picture of the victim or the person who de- is deceased. And you knock on the door, and you never know what's going to happen there. Uh, well, it's never fun. It very rarely goes well. It's always, uh, you know, you feel really horrible. I mean, you always have to go have a shower after as you're trying to manipulate this scenario to get this picture and sort of try to convince these people that, that you that you care. Of course, you do care as a human being, but you don't know them. And if it wasn't for, you're not family or friends that are coming to support them. The same time, um, you know, I, I was telling you a story earlier. I remember one time 
when this little boy was killed and his father was great. He gave me the picture and told me about his son and everything I needed to know. And then I continued to talk to him. And that at that point, he clicked in and he said, like, you know, you're not a friend. You're not, you know, I gave you what you needed. Um, now it's time for you to go. And uh, I couldn't disagree with him. In in one way, I was relieved, but but it was a reminder that, you know, that these people are going through hell. And I've always known that. And it's the hardest thing. Now, the younger reporters, they don't really go through it as much because there's so much on social media now. Most people have a picture, whether it's a Twitter picture or Facebook or something. You don't have to go knock on those doors as often. And, for, you know, only a few times a year where it doesn't work out like that. And, um, yeah, it's hard. I mean, you get punched and you get, you know, you slip down the stairs. Uh, what I used to do is always know my route out, look at it and retrace your steps in case you're coming out of there because people um, are, are, you know, they're at the worst time in their life and, you know, they feel uh, vulnerable and also they're kind of, you know, in a way they feel justified or people around feel justified if they take a mop or something and hit you with it. You sort of, they sort of say, well, you shouldn't have been bothering them, you know. Of course, uh, I've, I've had that kind of thing happen, and you feel um, really bad about it um, because uh, you wouldn't be doing that if you weren't getting paid to do it. And the competitive nature of the media, which you know at that time really wanted that, uh, you know, kind of pick up pictures. Yeah, absolutely. What are you hearing on another note on the toll that people are undergoing as a result of the lockdowns? Which well, seem... go ahead. No, I, I I think that it yeah I think the lockdown is over in terms of most people's mind. I don't think that they're really doing it. I think they they do what they have to do to get around it. If you're out in, in rush hour traffic, you see the rush hours back. Uh, lots of people working downtown again. Uh, they long ago tuned out the doctors and they've you know and the politicians. They realize that a they don't know what they're doing and b they're making it up as they go. And there are threats or, or veiled, you know, veiled threats or not so veiled threats. Uh, you know, they're still afraid of the police. Uh, the police, I noticed, have backed off because they were looking pretty, you know, like everyone knows that they don't want to go chase people around and, and all that kind of stuff. And the police are, you know, the Toronto police particularly are going through hell because they've been really hit with this coronavirus. Uh, 31 division, there's 75 people that are uh, quarantining. The Toronto Police College, they just put out a release about it. They've got, basically, they're closed. The police are really taking the brunt of it. Of course, no one ever says that. I mean, all you hear about is the defund police thing. Uh, you know, look, at if we have to be critical of police, you got to do it. I know you've done it. I have to do it sometimes. And But let, let's not kid ourselves. Like, that's not a job that most people could do or want to do. Did I hear you say that the police are not doing as much of the enforcement as they were or did i mishear no. you no they're not um because so they, 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 they realized off. they were so they they're backing they, they, off. They, were, they were being hung out to drive by the politicians who were using them as muscle and they're on video looking silly chasing people around that if you just didn't bother them and you know minus 10 or whatever they're gone in half an hour anyway so there's still some of it but the police the toronto police association and the other associations are, are also concerned because their members are, are getting infected with this coronavirus. It is real. The virus is real, and you can catch it. Now, whether it'll kill you is depending on your own health uh, situation. If you're an advanced age and you've got pre 
you know, conditions that, that are susceptible to it, sure, it could it can kill you. And it can also get you if you're younger and it just hits you the right way or wrong way. But but the reality is that the police are on the front lines of this uh, stuff, and I'm out there with them. We're really careful in the field. I mean, I wear the mask and stuff. People say, well, why are you wearing the mask? You're not really, you know, well, because I don't want to catch the thing. At the same time as I don't want to lock everybody down. We've got to learn to live with it is what I've always said. I've right. said it on your show. Um it doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist. It's not to the level that all these doctors want you know want you to believe it is. And you know, at the end of the day, I know they're going to give them all medals and awards and statues and you know applause and all that stuff. Uh, but you know, you question about like you mentioned about the suicides and the depression, and you see people screaming on roofs and people throwing stuff off buildings, and there's lots of mental health episodes that are going on that we're not used to seeing, and that all emanates from. You know, people going, you know, stir crazy, if that's the right word for it, or if that's, you know, I don't know if that's politically correct, but you know what I mean. Along that lines, people are struggling with this. Lockdowns and all the rules and, the you know, the Karens that are pointing at you. And, you know, when you're, there's nothing that infuriates people more when they're walking down a path and someone's you know, starts yelling at you for not wearing your mask instead of just minding their own business and, you know, sucking it up and walking by, holding their tongue. Uh, some people can't help. But scold, and you know, I saw that at the airport this week with that woman that came back with the baby, and I heard all kinds of things about that. But the one thing that I felt is that if a woman with a baby says, "I want to go home," and she's not sick, and the baby has a bit of a cough, then like, let's bend the rule. We certainly bend the rule for a lot of other people, you know, the rules. Um, but other people say, "No, no, no, throw the book at her, you know, beat her up, you know, maybe put her in jail." I mean, it's just incredible how mean some people can be. Uh, if you lose your compassion as a society for other people, and that's what happens when societies break down, as you know, um, you know, then you're in real trouble. You got to care about people, and you got to remember that they are only people. Is it just me, or has the premier been kind of low key ever since that Hazel McCallion story, which you you wrote about this? Yeah. He doesn't believe in. Yeah, he doesn't believe in any of this. I mean, he knows it's all BS. Uh, he has to play along with it um if he had his his way he would have handled a lot different because he's like that sort of street guy he's not you know uh, one of these tall forehead people that are in there you know talking about reports stuff he's all gut feel and you know what do people tell him on the street so you know he's hearing nothing but negative and he doesn't like to hear that you know he did the right thing by going out to the hazel mccallion thing it's just that he's the same guy saying don't do that so that's that that was the hypocrisy of it and i think you're right i think he he's learned and i also think he knows this thing is over too i mean they haven't said it's over but it's over as far as the collective uh you know public mind and it's warm right now in another month uh you know, be warmer again, and people are going to be out. They're going to ignore any of this other nonsense. Well, there's different schools of thought, as you know, Joe. I mean, there's those who say, like yourself, you said, well, this thing is over. Once things warm up, uh, people will be out and about, and this uh, this whole thing will have blown over. And then there's others who say, well, no, it's never going to end. <laughs> it's going to drag on. They're going to well, find— Well, there's some people that don't want it to end, but it, it, it is going to end. Who doesn't want it uh, to because end? Because the, the numbers aren't there. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want this? To, who doesn't want this to end? Well, I think that Dr. Tam and, and <laughs> Dr. Davila don't want it to end because they're superstars. They love being on TV, and you know they're going to miss that. Uh, they like I'm the fame, you, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, they, you know, it's there's something about being on TV and radio that's uh, addictive. I mean, we wouldn't know that, right? Um, 
they like they like it and um you know they feel that they're doing the right thing um the, the part you know i'd like to say something about that is that i think one of the lessons we can learn from the pandemic and this whole COVID 19 fiasco is going forward i think that the public health doctor position in every community should be elected i really i really believe that it's no longer a you know appointed kind of thing it should be elected and we should be able to vet these uh individuals that, that run for this office and know if they've got the qualifications because a lot of them don't secondly uh if if that were to fly and say someone came second i would also have some money in that budget for that person to if they'd like to take on the opposition role so like in, in essence a second opinion so that there's someone scrutinizing that doctor that, that knows a thing or two because even you know guys like you and i you know we don't I mean, I, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but in my case, I don't have a science background. I don't have even affinity for it. So I have to trust them. And that's what Doug Ford's running to and John Tory. They don't know either. They have to trust. And there's no second opinions allowed. And there's no accountability. And that's why a Dr. Tam should be in an elected position. And I know that in the States, I don't even know if you'd have it for that, but I know they have more electable positions. And I think I'd like to see that here. It's interesting. The premier posted this. Bullying is unacceptable, whether it's school or work. Everyone should feel safe and accepted wherever they go. Fair enough. On Pink Shirt Day, take a stand against bullying by wearing pink. If you are if you are being bullied, know that you aren't alone. Please reach out and talk to someone you trust. I mean, people are feeling bullied by the government. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah, to me, there's, there's an ironic aspect to this right now. Is that How much so, you want to bet that Doug Ford doesn't even know that tweet's out there? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, <laughs> he probably does because there's a video. There's a video associated okay. with it as well. So, um, all right. No, well, he's big. He's you know he's big on. Uh, you know, he's got four daughters, and you know what? Um, you know what? I, I I guess so. I mean, I I don't understand. Like, it's funny. You should. You're right. The 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 populace has been bullied by all levels of government, and there's a lot of bullying goes on in communities too i mentioned the karens and i don't know what the male version of karen is but <laughs> they're, they're, they're you know they're, they're, there's people that that's bullying when you when you go at someone else and say anything to them at all uh unless they're right in your your face then you're bullying them just leave them alone walk by them if you have a problem go get the authorities but a lot of people take it upon themselves to sort of interject and start pointing fingers and wagging the finger at other people that's bullying in my view and i don't think it's okay and i think uh you know the judgmental side of this whole covid 19 mess uh that that whole you know that thing that you know i'm talking about and also the people that are using and abusing their authority is the amongst the ugliest part of all of it and we'll be back with part two of our interview on saga 960 after this brief commercial break No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad that you could join me on this Thursday edition of the show. We have Joe Warmington on the line. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show, as always. 
I know you got to get back to work and um, do whatever the stuff that you do. You've, you're always out there and about. You're on the street at a time when people really need honest stories. And so, well, I appreciate that, you saying that. You know, like because that's what we've done. I, I've tried to do that. I haven't let the pandemic keep me from going to scenes and going to places and doing all of that. I thought that we needed that. There are a lot of reporters doing it. You can't cover this stuff from Facebook and you can't cover it from government press releases. If you do, you're not getting the whole story. It's interesting. I, I was talking yesterday about how I was watching a live hit and this guy is on CNBC at the, on the anchor desk and he was throwing to his reporter in the field who was out in Los Angeles and in LA, it would have been like three ten in the morning, and she, the reporter, was wearing a mask. There was clearly nobody around. Obviously, she was there with her camera operator, but he was back in the studio with tech people around and a co-host, and he had no mask. She was outside with a mask on, and I'm thinking something about this just doesn't ring true. You know, why is she, why would she be, I mean, couldn't she take it off for two minutes during the live hit? I mean, I don't need to see a mask on TV. And I realize this, so much of this is virtue signaling, but from a scientific vantage point, nothing about that picture made any sense whatsoever. You know, he's in the well, studio. Of, yeah, there's a lot of that, like the, the show side of it, you know, to make it look like you're doing something or that you're trying to please the government. You know, our rule of thumb is that when I do a report, and we do video reports uh, for the Toronto Sun and for Post Media uh, almost every day, if we're in a se uh, setting where we should be wearing a mask, we do. And if we're in a setting where we don't need it, we don't. That's kind of how we do it. And um, so it's it's hit or miss. So sometimes people say, well, why are you wearing a mask there? If you're on the TTC or something like that. Well, you know, you're trying to respect other people because there's, you know, there's different ways of looking at this. And that's the most important thing is that to remember that and I think that out of this whole 2020-2021 era is that the different points of view is a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, I suppose. It's interesting. I th do you get the sense that the world has changed permanently in a way, though, as a result yes. of all this? Yes, I think so, because you're starting to see the shift. Now they're talking about the guaranteed income. I think a lot of people have been kind of, just in this one year, they haven't been able to keep up with their bills. I mean, there are some people that have done well with it. If you have economic means and lots of money, but if you're kind of that nine to fiver that's, you know, barely making your ends meet, you're living in a house that you really can't afford, and it's not a luxury house, but because of the market, the prices are, you know, people are paying a million dollars for a basic house that was a wartime house, and so they're they're house poor, and so yeah, I think that they they realize. Um, they don't have to go out as much, and I think they're finding new things to do. And I think that their ambition is different. Now, it could change back, but I think some of it won't change back. Um, you know, I think a lot of it, uh, you know, whether it's going to a movie and things like that, um, you know, I think some of it will come back because I know that my son, say, he, you know, he was telling me he can't wait to go to the movie theater again. Because I know we have Netflix, but it's something different about going to a movie. Well, it'll be interesting. Do you want to sit next to people? Will they want to sit next to you? Someone's coughing. How's that going to work? This is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot ahead, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's going to be a lot of squeamishness afterwards in certain circumstances where all of a sudden people are 
are not wearing masks. Do you are you finding that people want to leave the GTA area? Are you hearing a lot of? Well, oh, there's lots of there's lots of people leaving, and they want a little bit of room. And I think a lot of it is they don't want people looking at them, waving their finger at them for everything they do, because they do that. You know, they're watching every move you make, or you wear a mask. And, you know, how, you know, all that stuff, six feet, are you walking? And so just to get away from that and get out of all these rules. And, of course, the expense of living in the big city is another thing. I mean, that's sort of part and parcel. I think a lot of it's that rain barrel effect where there's not any one thing, but you get 10 things piled in and the water starts coming over that barrel. People go, let's get out of Dodge. And, uh, and they're doing that. I mean, I know all kinds of my friends and that, that have moved out of GTA. Yeah, I feel like that. <laughs> you know, I just like, I just, you know, it's it, you feel claustrophobic in the city during these lockdowns. I mean, I'm not far from a nice sort of area by the water, you know, on the waterfront, and I can walk and go through parkland. And it's funny, sometimes you walk on the paths, and there are still some people, like, with masks on outside. Just, like, they're walking around amidst trees and forests and, and all this beautiful setting, and yet they... They're covering their faces as if they're going to catch it from, I just see, it's, I don't know. It seems bizarre to me and I just, uh, I don't know what to think. And so part of me wants to just I, I get out of Dodge. I agree with you. Um, and so. Well, you, and to you, be able to travel again, I think that, you know, whether it's to go to Vegas or, or go down to Florida or go on a trip to Europe or whatever, something to, to shoot for. You feel kind of locked in where you can't go across the border, even the, like, you know, people working people that can't afford to go away. I mean, just going down to Buffalo or the Anchor Bar for some wings for a few hours and coming back is something, you know, it's something to break it up and you can't do that anymore. And so, uh, you know, it'll be nice when that is opened up again. Uh, the one thing that I, I think that people realize, too, is there's been a lot of focus on American politics for a long time and and i think there's a lot of people taking a break from that now and they're just realizing that politics is taking you nowhere but you know yeah. uh, having a picnic or going for a walk or doing something like that that they don't really want you to do that's way more uh, you know way better use of your time and uh life is short and you've got to embrace it because uh, you know lord knows that our job every day we're covering stories of people that aren't here anymore and it's really really a, a great reminder um you know yeah. how fast it goes and why people are so mean to each other i have no idea and you hear of so many young people affected and you're a parent uh, as am i and you know it really bears uh repeating that you need to spend time with your children to talking about talk with, about what's going on in their heads, like you, you know, you were saying that your son was telling you, well, he, he's looking forward to getting back in the theater and watching a movie again, just like you know, old times. And it's uh, you know, with so many kids depressed, um, getting into drugs, worse, we're hearing t tragic cases of suicides involving young people. I mean, it really bears repeating that a parent needs to to sit down with their kids and just talk to them and find out where their head is at and um you know remind them that they're that they're loved and they're cared for and that, that the world may be a, a very different place right now but you know to put some perspective on it you know we've been through tough times before we're going to come out of this you're going to be fine you know that kind of thing it's well, really impor important to talk to your kids isn't it 
It is. And it's important to talk to yourself, too, to remember that you're taking on this burden. It's a different world and to not let it consume you or your partner or your family, mom, dad, whatever it is, brother, sister. You know, it would have helped a lot if the government had taken an approach of, you know, we're going to uh, sort of lower the temperature of all this and maybe have like a 25 percent or whatever kind of policy so that the stores could run. But, you know, we're not going to jam them with 500 people or, you know, 20 people. We're going to do 25 percent. Same with the flights, same with all of that. And keep, keep try to keep as much open as you can uh, within common sense as opposed to the other way, which is lock everybody down, including their employment. See, we've had, uh, you know, I think I'm speaking for you, but I know myself, I've had, I haven't missed a paycheck in this. Um, and, you know, while times are tough, they're a lot tougher if you don't have a paycheck coming in. And you and yeah, I have talked to sure. people that don't, and uh, that's a big part of it. And that's on the politicians. Originally, that Serb thing kind of helped. Uh, it but did. it was a very, yeah, it did at first, but it's not helping now. I mean, whatever but, they're doing now is not working the same well, way. But, you know, the economy, and this is, you're going to have stories related to just the state of things after this thing winds down, the economic uh, rubble that people are walking out of with so many uh, shattered businesses, bankruptcies, uh, devastating uh, health issues, all these things, you know, the aftermath, right? It was like, uh, you know, after Hiroshima, the bomb itself was terrible. I mean, I find it awkward even to equate it to, but just in terms of a disaster, you know, it's often the aftermath, right, that you have to deal with. The the mess, the cleanup, putting, you know, piecing together lives, those types of stories are going to be told. And I know you're going to be at the forefront of, of dealing with people who are trying to get that business open again and trying to get that restaurant going again, trying to find another job, you know, all these types of things. Those are going to be stories for the next, you know, five years. It wouldn't surprise me. Well, it's so true. And, you know, again, that's why it's important that uh, political leaders, you know, don't scold and belittle people that they serve because then they want to turn around and lead them later. There's going to be a lot of hard feelings uh, for some of these politicians that have been just so, so rude. And, you know, when you're doing uh, government by polling, which is what they do, they, they believe the pollsters that people wanted these lockdowns. Man. And of course, uh, you know, like, I mean, I don't believe that, A, because I'm in the field and I, I see how people really feel about it. I think that they would have been comfortable with some lockdowns and I think some, you know, uh, lowering, as I said, of the numbers and things like that. But what they did do was very draconian and um, and it's, uh, you know, 1984 and it's uh, scary. And, you know, we're not out of this yet. Like we're kind of talking like this is almost over. That's right. But they it's haven't not. indicated that it's, it's uh, almost over. So, you know, we, it's over in terms of, as I said, off the top here, in terms of the public, uh, you know, collective, they, in their own minds to survive, they're, you know, they're, they're pretending that they're doing this, but they're not really doing it. But the government, you know, at any time could turn the heat up. And if those numbers ever do skyrocket again, God knows where, where we'll end up. Yeah, and that's why I think vocal opposition is important. Just to let these people know that uh, there's a lot of people unhappy. Polls are one thing, but there's a lot of people who are angry about this situation, extremely upset. And so, 
you have to voice that. You know, you can't just be quiet or keep it to yourself, internalize it. There's going to be PTSD, you know, issues around around COVID, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder when people are, are just dealing with the with the stress associated with trying to recover, you know, and the the mental health aspects of of coming back and but trying just to hearing get normal about it again. all the time. Like all you do is hear about COVID nineteen. Every story I write every day, every column is connected to it. I mean, there's a rare exception. And if it is, it's it's not usually a good news story either. So I don't know. I mean, I think people just want to live again. That's why I think the spring is going to be interesting. And I think, you know, when people get their barbecues going and get outside and get in their backyards and stuff, they'll be a lot happier. And can't come soon enough. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate you coming on the show once again. All the best. Joe Warmington, journalist, columnist with the Toronto Sun. Check out his work in the pages of that uh, terrific uh, newspaper. We'll be back with more on News Talk Saga 960 after this brief commercial break. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. to the Mark Petroni radio program heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad that you could join us on this Thursday edition of the show. We have Jocelyn Bamford on the line. And Jocelyn is the president of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Welcome, Jocelyn. Hi, Mark. Happy Thursday to you. Yes, happy Thursday to you. Always a good day, the day before Friday. So, Isn't it, though? <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you, Aaron O'Toole seems to have suddenly discovered conservative values and policies. And uh, you can you can be cynical about this, as I have been, and say, well, I guess if all else fails, then be conservative if you're the leader of the Conservative Party. This is a guy who won the leadership in part by saying he was the leader of the, he was a true blue conservative, unlike others who were running against him. He turned out to be anything but, as he sucked up to uh, the leadership of, of unions, tried to suck up to the likes of the Toronto Star. A lot of people were disappointed. I'm hearing back that he's not very happy with some of the stuff we're talking about on this show, but you know he has to surround himself with people who are going to give him the straight goods, and I'm not, I'm not sure that's the case, but at least he seems to be coming out now and saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we're, I'm conservative. Yeah, I really am, and here, here's proof. I don't know. Are you buying it? I, thank God for his epiphany is all I can say. But, <laughs> you know, the, the thing that concerns me um, is it concerns me the advice he's been been getting because the advice has been absolutely horrible, um, and uh, many conservatives are, are like, yeah, I'm just I'm sitting this one out because um, if if Aaron O'Toole is going to be exactly like Justin Trudeau, then um, you know I'm a salesperson. If you don't differentiate yourself from from the customer's current product, they're not going to switch products. So you need to provide a bold and different uh, option for. Uh, people to switch their brand. And I haven't been seeing that. Uh, They both look exactly the same to me. So unless you're going to provide a bold, different vision for the country, one that is, by the way, sorely needed, 
as we need to bring back our manufacturing, we need to bring back our jobs, we need to bring back our resource sector, and we need to embrace um, the wonderful contribution that our plastics industry has done with our fight to COVID. Um, Unless you're going to embrace all of those things, uh, there's going to be no reason for anybody to change their vote. And hopefully... Um, Aaron has found the light or got rid of those folks around him that were giving him terribly bad advice, very similar to the advice that Patrick Brown uh, was getting um, before he was run out of town, I might add. Um, So hopefully he's got himself some better advisors and is getting on the path to bringing this country back to prosperity because the path he was on was an absolutely disastrous one. Uh, it was disastrous for the country because it was just continuing the legacy uh, that Justin Trudeau had started. And it was disastrous for people in his own party who said, uh, we need to get away from those disastrous policies and bring prosperity back. So hopefully uh, he is realized he's on a terrible path and gotten rid of those people giving him terrible advice and focuses on manufacturing, uh, bringing back jobs and prosperity, our resource sector that can contribute to a cleaner planet, not detract detract from it, and, and get away from these things like the uh, reining in of critical thought or opposing views on social media, which is just horrifying, uh, which is one of the things that the Trudeau government is pushing. So. Hopefully, uh, Aaron has had an epiphany. Uh, I wish he had never gone down this road, and hopefully it's not too late to change him. But but the other thing is the treatment of Pierre Polyev. Like, let's talk about that. Uh, why you would, if you're a coach, why you would take your star quarterback and make him a defensive tackle is beyond me. So hopefully we'll see Pierre go back to the position that he um, – has and has done very well for for the conservative party. Yeah, I think he's uh, Aaron O'Toole has taken his lumps over this, but you would look at the government and how badly they've performed, not only on the COVID front but on the economic front, uh, the managing of our finances, which is an absolute dumpster fire. Uh, there is this recent poll by Angus Reid. Justin Trudeau's personal approval has dropped five points from where it stood. Uh, in both December and January, suggesting that the fallout from vaccination delays has hurt his standing. Indeed, a majority of Canadians say the Liberal government has done a poor job of securing doses. Uh, Despite the media covering for him, I guess the reality of just how badly they've done uh, has seeped through to the public. Canadians now largely view him as either with either moderate approval, 36%, or strong disapproval you would think that the liberals would, would be uh, you know ripe for the picking in terms of an election that they would you know just poised to have their butts kicked in 2019 they only got 33 percent of the popular vote and still won <laughs> i still shake my head at that but you would think that this would be it you know given everything that's happened that the conservatives would be ready to take over and yet it's not true because uh, people either view the Tories as e- being even worse or ineffectual. Um, they've got they've managed to make very little traction, if any. They've lost traction in Atlantic Canada and in Quebec and in Ontario. All these key battleground areas 
of the country, they seem to be spinning their wheels. What is going on here? Yeah, and out and, and west, like let's talk about out west. I mean, west you, that you thought was a firm, uh, absolute uh, spot for the Tories is uh, seemingly very discontented, and and I can see why. Why why would you be um, contented with the current provincial government and the talk of the conservative leadership? It's it's not uh, appealing to them, and it's you know it's appealing to to nobody's happy. So. I mean, when you look at the dumpster fire, that's the vaccine file, and it is a dumpster file. And here's the thing: go to to um, the you know the coffee machine, water cooler, socially distance, of course, conversation, and you will find that people are now really talking about the vaccines. And you know why? Why you ask? Well, because a lot of people have a lot of friends in the United States that are getting vaccinated, and they're posting it up. And here I am on Facebook in my vaccine, and we're seeing. Um, other countries leapfrog uh, ahead of Canada in vaccinations, and, and and what do we have? I don't know. The the press seemed to want to have a ticker tag parade when we got a couple hundred thousand vaccines uh, being delivered. When oh, at the end of March? Oh my goodness! Like how many weeks before then? And uh, you know, without vaccines, we can't get back to normal. People can't go and do the things that they love. They can't visit their family. They can't travel. They can't go on vacation. Uh, you know, who wants to go on vacation, locked down in their house? Like nobody. Um, we can't get back to uh, business operating. It, it, and we have new variants. And, you know, what is the federal government doing? You know, hiding in their cottage and having the media throw a parade because they get a couple hundred thousand vaccines. That's not acceptable. Uh, we need to get vaccines rolled out to our people so we can get back to doing the things that we love. And the fact that the government has so mishandled this, even though they have the media covering for them, is, is starting to seep into the consciousness of everyday Canadians. And we're seeing it now. We're seeing people talk about it. You can't hide the fact that your friends in the United States are getting their vaccines when we don't even have any. And yet the Tories have been largely mute on the issue of the vaccines and the the terrible rollout. They've been quiet on issues like uh, free speech online. I mean, honestly, who wants the government censoring social social media posts? This is absolutely outrageous and the thin edge of the wedge as far as uh, a prime minister who looks at China as something that is an, an admirable, admirable form of government. Then it came out, of course, with, the, with what happened with the condemnation of uh, genocidal um, actions in China as, insofar as its Uyghur population and, and other Muslims, uh, other groups in that country. And the, the cabinet uh, and the prime minister sat that one out. Uh, at least they were spearheading that. But you really get the sense that O'Toole has floundered and what, is, what do you think he has to do now? Because he's also been very quiet on the economic front in terms of manufacturing and the resource sector. I mean, he's made some pronouncements, but very little. It's like he doesn't want to really talk about those things because it might upset the environmental crowd. I mean, is that what's going on here? Is he trying to count out of those thing. people? The, the environmental crowd will not be voting for him. Neither will the media. So stop kowtowing to those people who will never, ever vote for you and start talking to ordinary Canadians. You know, get out and 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 talk to folks, whether it's virtually um, or not. You need to get out and uh, understand 
what the um, the average Canadian thinks about. And clearly the fact that this is all a shock to him makes me think that they don't understand what is concerning to ordinary Canadians. So, you know, what's concerning? Jobs, the economy, their health, vaccines. Um, be vocal on those things and don't worry about uh, upsetting those people that will never be on your side anyways. You'll never win their approval. It's it's like uh, I don't understand what it is with conservative folks. They they desperately seek the approval of those people that abuse them. And uh, no matter what, they'll still try to get their approval. You're not getting their approval, so get over it and, and tell people what you would do if you were in charge. Tell them what you would do better, what you would have done better, and how we can expect a better life for Canadians and their families. Ontario has shed um, 355,300 jobs in 2020. The carnage given uh, uh, COVID. And so we're looking forward at hopefully the end of this pandemic, the end of the lockdowns, um, but the cleanup afterwards, the economic recovery is going to be tenuous and uh, it's hard to see that it's going to bounce back with any great deal of vigor because people are going to be, I think, tentative. Uh, You'd like to think that they really want it to get back rolling again, and uh, and most of us do. And and here's how you fix it. You fix it easily. You fix it by getting our clean, liquefied natural gas to market. And that not only brings prosperity to Canada, but also reduces pollution globally. You get it by bringing back manufacturing, which we saw was so damaging um, with having our PPE and our ventilators produced offshore. You do that by not declaring plastics as toxic when $35 billion uh, worth of revenue comes from that industry. And, by the way, we are leaders in the circular economy. You don't declare plastics as toxic because that's going to devastate that industry. And it seems like their modus operandi in the federal government is to drive all industry out of Canada and, and to tell people that, oh, you'll have these green jobs. Well, those green jobs never materialized in Ontario, and they're not going to materialize and Canada, and and if you believe that there's going to be all these new green jobs, then I have a bridge to sell you. Because <laughs> let me tell you, my friends, it's not going to happen. It never happened before. It didn't happen in Germany, and it's certainly not going to happen in Canada. But you get out and you talk about how easily it would be to bring prosperity back to Canada, uh, and and uh, you have all the tools to do it because we're blessed in this country that we have natural resources and we have innovation, um, and we're world leaders in so many areas, and, and that's what you do to bring Canada back. Um, and, you know, but you look what's happening um, in the United States and you really see the Trudeau administration and the Biden administration, you know, in hand and glove, you know, they talk about build back better. They have all the same verbiage. And that to me is super frightening because, you know, their vision for the world um, is, is, isn't one where we have prosperity. You know, we have, we, you you just have to look at how democratic states are run and versus um, some of the, the Republican states. In terms of the economy, in terms of of um, 
prosperity for people. Um, you, you know, just have to take a look at that and, and to find out that that's, you know, where we're all headed is to um, ruin uh, economically and, and uh, you know, not a great way of life for our citizens. And, you know, you just have to study uh, the examples to know that that's true. Absolutely. How do people find out more about your organization? Uh, you can look us up at the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Um, go to our website, like us on social media. We need as many voices as we can to make sure that we have jobs um, for our employees and prosperity for their families. And that is our, our goal. Our goal is simply to make sure that there are more Canadian jobs and that we can raise our children um, into a, a, a great economy where they'll also have jobs. And it's not just manufacturers who are welcome into your organization. It's all businesses. We're really the Coalition of Concerned Employers of Canada, and that is what, what our mantra is. If you own a business, if you want, if you support businesses and prosperity, uh, we're, we're, your, we're your folks. And, and if you work in the public sector and you're relying on having that tension that you believe is coming to you, um, you should be concerned because there are so much unfunded pension liabilities out there. And the only way you will get your pension if you are a public sector employee is to have a strong private sector because that's who funds them. So it's something that all Canadians need to be concerned about. Jocelyn Bamford, President of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. And we'll be right back with more on Newstalk Saga 960 after this brief commercial break. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more News Talk on Saga 960. So very glad that you could join us on this Thursday edition of the show. We have Inky Mark on the line. Inky is a former Conservative Party member of Parliament. Inky was born in China before he moved to Canada. In fact, he was born a little bit before the actual revolution in China when the communists took over. And so he has a perspective which many Canadians do not have. And so when he looks at what uh, Canada has done recently with the House of Commons voting overwhelmingly to declare China's treatment of its Uyghur minority uh, population as a genocide, it certainly is newsworthy. But uh, I guess the downside of it is that uh, Justin Trudeau and most members of his cabinet abstained. Um, The motion makes Canada just the second country after the United States to recognize China's actions as genocidal, but you can't help but think that uh, Trudeau's personal behavior throughout all of this has been rather cowardly. What do you think, Inky? Well, it's certainly proof of it that the Chinese have a you know stranglehold on uh, Trudeau, and I would say usually it's usually it's over money. Uh, uh, for for Trudeau to uh, abstain with his caucus, it, it's a traitorous. Uh, uh, way of uh, dealing with the issue because it is genocide. You know, I mean, no one in the world supports genocide uh, anywhere in the world. 
So why so why is Trudeau supporting China uh, on this uh, topic uh, in China itself? So yeah, and, I mean, and then on top of it, on top of it, his ambassador is giving us heck, giving Canada heck for voting to support genocides. So yeah, I mean, he, that's right. I mean, it's he's trying to have it both ways, of course sucking up to China and saying, well, I didn't support the motion personally, but on the other hand, he wants to be able to say that the Canada as a country and the House of Commons, you know, he allowed that to go through because if the government had opposed it, it that vote probably would never have taken place. Um, so what are you hearing from members of the Chinese community? You're out in Dauphin, Manitoba. I don't know how big the Chinese com- community is out there, but what are you hearing in terms of a reaction from people who perhaps know that this Chinese communist regime is horrible, is, is horrendous, is murderous in many respects, and really defa- uh, demands that the, that the whole world take a stand. And here we're only seeing uh, Parliament really go halfway. Well, the boomer babies, uh, the uh, baby boomers uh, uh, of Chinese descent are the ones that would be... Uh, uh, supportive of the genocide thing, where where the the new immigrants from China, and many of them are here because of the Chinese government. They would support the communist Chinese because they have no choice, you know. And that's a problem with dual citizenship. That's another topic you can deal with another time. But that's the problem. If you have dual citizenship, if you're Chinese, you better watch what you say because you may end up in one of those Uyghur camps yourself. So, but uh, with Trudeau, he doesn't understand that. He's the leader of this country. He represents the Canadian society. You can't have it. You can't have personal opinions on the personal side. He says, I'm, you know, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I don't, he doesn't personally believe in genocide, but you can't have it both ways. That's the problem with him is he takes, you know, he thinks he can split it personally and on any topic. Uh, with a personal position and a country position, there's no such thing. If you're the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, what you do is reflective on the world. And in this case, you're 100% wrong. And you were 100% wrong to have caucus avoid the vote, in, including yourself. I mean, what's the point of having a parliament if that's the way you're going to operate? Yeah, absolutely. There is this column by Warren Kinsella in the Toronto Sun. Prime Minister... Shame will follow you after the Uyghur genocide, uh, cowardice. And so um, there's that. But, you know, you go back to the 90s when there was the Rwanda genocide and the attacks of um, hundreds of thousands, millions of people uh, butchered during that horrendous time in Africa, in in Rwanda. Mm. And one of the lessons that came out of that, the world looked back and said, you know, we really fell uh, flat and fell short, far short of what we should have done early on in terms of addressing that uh, to try and stop it before it happened and to address it in an international way, in a, in a firm way, so as to stop what was going on. And that was one of the lessons that came out of that after the fact is the as the world looked on in horror at what had happened and tried to deal with it, there was some soul-searching after that. There, was, there were all sorts of reports and said, okay, well, 
We're not going to allow that to happen again. Well, what's happening now, Inky? I mean, in China, same, except same, same, same. I mean, it, it's like history repeats itself. And I suspect that the shame that followed many countries in the world following the Rwanda disaster may happen again with the Uyghurs in China. No, there's no doubt. It's uh, <clears throat> history always repeats itself. Uh, you know, you look at even the Trump years when he separated family from the children of, of Mexican, you know, illegals. I mean, I mean that's like an internment. I mean, you can't do that. I mean, we had internment in Canada, you know, with the Japanese, with the Ukrainian, Canadians. I mean, it's just, and when, when Trump was doing it, no one was criticizing him. And I couldn't understand that. Why are you doing this? Why are you allow, being allowed to do this? So in Canada, I guess now we've got the Trudeau, uh, Trudeau uh, supporting genocide. So that's uh, yeah. I, I think the separation of families was going on under, under Obama, and yeah. and by the way, the the caging of children uh, has now ramped yeah, up right. because of the border crossings. Of course, has, has increased uh, under Biden. So uh, you know, I I don't know how much of this you can lay at Trump's feet, but we can certainly take care of what happens in this country, and for the government. Yeah to do what it's doing right now, to try and soft pedal. On one hand, allow parliament to have its vote, goes 266 to nothing, and yet somehow have the, the prime minister, the leader of government, abstain from it. I think a lot of people are going to uh, wonder about Canada and whether it's, it's really firm on this or not. I mean, you can take that approach, Inky, but on the other hand, at least Canada is saying something, right? I mean, the story has yeah. has um, resonated around the world. China has been harshly critical of Canada because they're obviously concerned. I mean, put yourself in the mindset of the Chinese communists right now. Here's another country that has come out after the United States and said this is genocide. Uh, however right. tainted that decision may be, it, it still happened. And so what what's going on there? I mean, the Chinese, how uh, sensitive are they to this type of thing. I mean, they're not so insular as to not care what the world thinks. Um, so what do you think the Chinese will do about it? Well, they're, they're very sensitive, and that's why I read this morning, uh, I think the ambassador said, uh, well, you're going to pay for this decision, but so, I mean, look what they did to Australia, you know, because Australia said, well, the Wuhan uh, virus came from China. From Wuhan, and now they uh, re, they are blocking coal ex, uh, imports from Australia. Uh, in Canada, our trade uh, with China is uh, pretty small compared to uh, our trade with the south of the border. So I wouldn't worry about too much. Uh, well, I guess you do because a lot of it is agriculture. Yeah. Uh, well, again, it's a resource base. We still export coal to them, oil, you know, petroleum. So yeah, well, farm products as well, soybeans and so yeah. forth. And, and, I mean, if you look at what they've done with the Australians, the Chinese have, because the Australians have been very firm with China, standing yeah. up to China in many respects. And so the Chinese used economic warfare against Australia, didn't they? They were right. not shy about saying, well, we're not going to buy your pork products and we're not going to buy your soybeans yeah. or whatever, whatever it was that they boycotted. And, of course, that uh, served to do great damage to the Australian economy. But it, right. highlights the da it highlights the threat and the danger here, Inky, 
of getting too close with these totalitarian uh, fascistic regimes like China, where you know that this this is an evil regime. I mean, I'm not. Let's not mince words here. You know, any regime that has do, has done to its own people, what China has done to its own people, is evil at its core. It's rotten, and so anytime that you make uh, that a country that has those types of values as a key tenet of your foreign policy and your economic policy, you're asking for trouble. Are you not? Well, certainly. And then you have a prime minister who believes that, oh, I like the, their type of government because, oh, they get things done. Well, you know, I don't think Trudeau has a clue of how the communist uh, government operates. It's a one-party state. He just doesn't get it. He just does not understand. It's a it's a it's a dictatorial government. They do whatever they want, and uh, and I think it shows the immaturity and how naive uh, Trudeau is when it comes to uh, well, probably foreign foreign relations with other countries in the world as well, but certainly with China. And I think his problem is he started taking money from them too early. Because right after he got elected prime minister, they, they shoveled I think a million dollars into his dad's foundation, and and uh, he, he, you know, they well they manipulated him because uh, they have control of the the recent Chinese that are in the country, the ones that are wealthy, and uh, and they're all probably uh, you know get the liberals to uh, to support China, and I mean I, I got certain amount of lobbying when I was an MP. You know, I used to go over to the embassy, and they would invite us over for meals and celebrations. And uh, uh, one, in fact, they they did the same thing. They would, uh, you know, tell us, "Oh no, we uh, Tibet." When Tibet was the big issue back then, and no, no, we treat them well. Well, we find out they they're overpopulating Tibet with Chinese just to overrun them. And uh, but no, they don't do anything bad. And I remember being told that and given books and paraphernalia and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's just a lobbying effort. And, and unfortunately too many Canadians fall for it because they don't, they don't know the real truth, uh, what's actually happening. Um, while I've got you on the line, there's talk of a spring election. What's the situation there? Uh, what's your read on the mindset of the electorate right now out in Manitoba? Out west here, it's it's anybody but Trudeau. Basically, all three prairie provinces. Now, there will be, I, I won't be surprised, they'll be they'll all turn conservative, even the ones that want to pay. That's why they're, they're worried in Manitoba. They keep dumping money in Manitoba continuously. And that's his ticket. Uh, well, I've said that on Twitter over and over again. His ticket to uh, the government is sending these checks out and, and keep sending them because that's his instructions to Freeland. You know, don't stop the checks. Keep sending them out, at least till after the election. Don't penalize the serve recipient or anybody else to receive uh, government money. And that's, that's unfortunately, it's it's a bribe, which maybe too many people don't understand that it's a bribe. Will it work, though, in your view? Well, for certain segments of society, it will work, but I think he's, he's digging his hole deeper by the day, basically. I mean... Uh, slowly, people are waking up uh, with uh, with Justin the way he operates. Basically, he's operating like a dictator. You know, he doesn't care about parliament. He hides in his cottage. He doesn't even come out. 
I mean, what leader in the world governs and leads the way he does? Nobody. There's nobody that hides in a cottage. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And and our problem in this country is that the mainstream media is basically, I think, they just bought off, basically. Uh, oh, yeah, there's really no question any about criticism. That. No, no, no criticism of, of his government, his cabinet members. His cabinet members lie continuously to cover for their boss all the time. I mean, Anita, she'd been on Twitter, on social media every day telling us, oh, don't worry, the vaccines are coming, we're getting all this delivery. Meanwhile, we're waiting, waiting, waiting. The d- dates keep changing, and they do cover for them all the time. The media does the same. They cover for them all the time. So this is the, the kind of democracy we have under Trudeau. You know? it's, it's, yeah, I mean, can you imagine if it was a conservative government, you know, handling the the COVID pandemic in the way that the liberals have? I mean, it would be a daily uh, onslaught. I mean, it would it would uh, never stop. The attacks would never, n- never stop. Go into it. Yeah. 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 Inky, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate well, that. Well, thank you for having me. Inky okay. Mark, former, former member of parliament, coming to us from Dauphin and the beautiful province of Manitoba. And we'll be back with more on New Stock Saga 960 after this brief commercial break. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni radio program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more on News Talk Saga 960, so very glad that you could join us. We have Clinton DeVoe on the line. Clinton comes to us from the Halifax area in the beautiful province of Nova Scotia. And Clinton has been on about this national mining strategy for quite some time in relation to the fact that so many cars are going electric these days. When you look at Teslas and so forth, I mean, the vast majority are still run uh, out of gasoline. We still need oil. However, the trend seems to be moving in favor of, uh, of EVs. And uh, this is an opportunity that uh, the Clinton says would be huge for Canada if it could get its act together. And uh, there was an announcement, I guess, when Trudeau met with Joe Biden recently that uh, seems to suggest that both countries are starting to get it. Welcome, Clinton. Well, good morning. I'd like to say hi to you and your listeners. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Talk a little bit about this announcement that came out. Little uh, was said about it, but you feel that it's, uh, it's significant. I do. In fact, I think this is one of the most important decisions to come out of the Canada-U.S. relationship uh, in the last decade, quite frankly, Uh, perhaps more. Uh, So as your listeners are aware, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau met with President Joe Biden uh, this week. And the White House, as well as the Prime Minister's office, issued official statements that said, and I'm quoting, the leaders have agreed to work together to build the necessary supply chains to make Canada and the United States global leaders in all aspects of battery development and battery production. To that end, the leaders agreed to strengthen the Canada-U.S. Critical Minerals Action Plan. So this is a big deal. Because this means that after basically a year of myself and other people uh, banging the drum on this issue, 
that uh, that both the White House and 24 Sussex um, are starting to see the importance of this. And the reason it's important is because we're seeing in countries like um, like Iceland, like the Netherlands, like Norway, like Sweden, that we're seeing EV adoption rates in the last two or three months that are anywhere from 50 to 80% of the marketplace. So we can see this shift happening. And of course, General Motors has uh, announced during the, the Super Bowl uh, a couple of weeks ago that they are unveiling 30 new electric vehicles over the next four years, the first two starting this spring. So we can see all this happening. And as you've alluded to, we have the Tesla action where they've developed that new dry cell that, that they've developed in Canada, in, in Halifax, actually. So this is really important. And so I think, you know, what we want to look for next is um, how are the premiers in Canada going to react to this? Because if we look to Alberta, just as one quick example, they, without doing a serious examination, they're aware of at least 10 million tons of lithium that is currently available in Alberta. And it was basically being wasted uh, in what's called the tailings pond. So when they do an oil sands operation, they use brine and water and these kinds of things. And, and so they were uncovering significant, significant amounts of lithium and they would just sort of dispose of it in the tailings ponds without realizing that they had something that was valuable here that could really, you know, help change uh, transportation and allow Alberta to continue to benefit from its natural resources. So they were throwing this stuff out? Like literally discarding it? They were literally discarding it. Yeah, they were literally discarding <laughs> uh, it. They, they had no it? idea what they had. <laughs> so this stuff is valuable. I mean, uh, did they bury it? Uh, it's Presumably it would still be there, right? Yeah, it is still there. They are aware of where it is. And in fact, uh, numerous industry players, I've been told in the last uh, seven to ten days, uh, are planning to uh, begin extracting that lithium that uh, they were basically disposing of. So, okay. look, I think this is really important, uh, you know, like for Ontario as well, because, look, everybody knows that significant parts of Ontario are important mining areas. Like if we look at Sudbury, you know, it's famous for nickel. It's, it's so famous, in fact, that they have the world's uh, biggest nickel when you – first drive uh, drive into town there right. and yeah. uh, you know there's significant mining operations throughout northern Ontario and the same thing in Newfoundland and in Quebec and uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan and the territories so I, I think it's really imperative now that the 10 premiers from Newfoundland to British Columbia and all points in between come up with a with a single set of regulations I think that the thing that could really sort of hurt Canada in the long term is if we have 10 competing sets of regulations, which scares industry away. And so an example of why I think this is important is if we look at uh, investments. So, you know, when you buy stocks and you sell stocks and RSPs and all these kinds of things, That's right. all of the various provinces in Canada came together and they formed, um, for all intents and purposes, a single securities agency. And so I think it's important for the various provinces to say, what can we do to ensure that we have the, the same sort of efficient regulatory body 
uh, across the country in order to really expedite this development because we don't want other countries to beat us to the punch. And as you know, if we look at the, the past oil debates, um, you know, we in some ways, uh, through a, a series of different reasons, you know, other countries have been able to become international oil capitals. And so we don't want to see this happen with natural, uh, with precious metals and uh, the various provincial natural resources. Right. So we're going to supply country, uh, companies like Tesla, in other words, that's going to be the idea that that our lithium and our other rare metals are going to be used in the production of batteries and solar and all this other stuff. And so, uh, but you also believe that uh, we should be providing some value add. So in other words, have some factories here rather than just digging it up out of the ground and shipping it to wherever the United States for process. And then we should be processing it here in this country. Is that correct? I agree uh, with your analysis of that situation 100%, Mark. So for your listeners who, who may not be aware, uh, despite Canada having tremendous oil assets, um, one of the most discouraging things from a, from a purely Canadian perspective was that we would extract the oil and then we would essentially put it in a pipeline and send it out or on a tanker ship to or a rail car in order to be uh, refined in um you know in international markets outside of canada and um i think that you know to circle this back to sort of the problems is coming together and having a first minister's meeting on this and getting their act together i think it's important that they do that so that we can also have a finished product so instead of taking nickel lithium copper um, and other precious metals, instead of taking those raw products and sending them to be finished uh, elsewhere, I think it's important that we try our best to create the economic circumstances and allow the market conditions to happen where we can develop the finished products within our country because then, you know, then we could sell those products to General Motors and to Tesla and to the Volkswagen group and to, you know, all kinds of companies out there uh, so that we could really benefit from it. Yeah. Meantime, the Chinese is, is trying to corner the market, I think, in a way, or buying mines and so forth. And they also have rare metals in China as well. So they, uh, they become a powerful player in that area. Uh, there's a political angle as well, isn't there? I mean, you feel that uh, the liberals got the jump on this issue over, uh, say, the conservatives, whom you know for a fact were aware of what you were doing, what you were writing about, and that somehow the conservatives just uh, failed to capitalize on that issue. Is that correct? Well, I do believe that for a couple of reasons. So the first one is is that over the last year, I've written a series of articles about the idea of a national mining strategy. And, uh, and, and those articles were published and featured in uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 newspapers and magazines across Canada, from British Columbia to Newfoundland. And so I know that political parties are always scanning the news and trying to see what's in the news so that they can take advantage of issues. Uh, and I personally spoke with a, a number of Conservative Party insiders and activists, uh, you know, talking about this issue. 
And I pointed out why this is important because, you know, if we look at the Conservative Party base being in Alberta and Saskatchewan, just as a quick example, as more and more of the world shifts to electric vehicles, there's going to be less and less need for, uh, for crude as a form of transportation uh, fuel. And so the best thing we could do by, is to embrace this national mining strategy so that we could, we could move those workers into mining for precious metals uh, instead of just mining for uh, oil sands. And so this would be a benefit, you know, for the Conservative Party base. But, you know, they basically um, sort of said thank you and kind of moved on from it. Um, and when I've shared this with Liberal Party uh, organizers and, um, and Liberal Party staffers, they kind of looked at it and went, wow, this is really fascinating. So much so that a number of Canadian think tanks in uh, the prairies and um, and in uh, Atlantic Canada, uh, sent me notes, uh, private notes, encouraging me to continue with my uh, my uh, art, like news story writing campaigns and my rounds of media, because they believe that more and more uh, members of the government were starting to to buy into the idea, and of course that that uh, we saw the uh, we saw the, the fruit of that work uh, this week when uh, the White House and the Canadian government announced this joint action plan, um, you know, for, for North America to become experts in uh, battery development and, um, and the natural resources. I call it the ingredients. You know, you've heard me use that word before. Yeah. But uh, for us to become the experts in the, in the recipe making of the battery itself. Hmm. All right. Well, good for you for uh, raising the issue. The Tories, I, I don't know what's going on there, why they uh, they didn't pick up the ball, and obviously there are jobs at stake there. I mean, the idea is that, uh, I mean, from my vantage point, one shouldn't replace the other right away. I mean, why not have both? I mean, if you've got the oil sands over there, like you mentioned, uh, the lithium is just being discarded like, like garbage. In the meantime, it's a valuable commodity that we could be using and selling and uh, you know, even building out our infrastructure. It's amazing how short-sighted we are in this country sometimes when it comes to this sort of thing. Just, I mean, to me, what you're saying is a no-brainer. We really should be all over this thing. The fact that the government didn't even think of it before you brought it up is, is a little telling. But at least they recognized what's important. And, I mean, they've got such a sorry and pathetic record on the economy and the treatment of the resource sector in Alberta and Saskatchewan that they kind of... Yeah, they they could really use this, you know. They can say, "Look, you know, we're uh, we're on this, you know. Even though we're anti-oil, we still believe in metals and we still believe in mining. And so, you know, maybe we can move those jobs that are going to be phased out of the resource sector of the, out of the oil sector rather, and move them into mining. And so, it's kind of a strategic thing on their part as they push away from oil, isn't it? Well, it is, and I I also think it's important too for us to remember that as Canadians, we're in a very unique position from the perspective of we are a law-abiding nation. We are a country with a, a working uh, legal system and legal frameworks. Uh, we are a country which prides itself on respecting uh, contracts, and we're a country that uh, respects and promotes human rights. So these things are all important because, as you know, 
a large number of people who buy electric vehicles, they believe in those very things. You know, they, they are, uh, they have a, a slightly different view of uh, when it comes to investing than what traditional investors may have had in the past. And so there's another opportunity where Canada can solidify itself as the preeminent force for precious metals because there's all these other side benefits that come with doing business with Canada that the people who buy electric vehicles, they like that aspect of it as well. All right. So we really need our, our governments, uh, you know, provincially to work with the feds and and to find a way to create a uh, sort of a, a one a regulatory body or regulatory framework in order to really move this file forward. All right, Clinton, thank you so much for coming on the show with this. This is a fascinating topic, and I know you're going to stay on top of it. Well, thank you very much to you and your listeners. I'm looking forward to chatting with you another time. Clinton DeVoe coming to us from Halifax in the beautiful province of Nova Scotia. That's it for me on this show uh, today. So very glad that you could join us. Let's do it again tomorrow, the Friday edition. We'll see you then. Bye-bye for now. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.